You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. It's another episode of The Melting Podcast. Already? Yeah. Cool. It's the middle of May. Holy crap. And you realize it's only like a week away. Baltagon! Baltagon! Baltagon. Which means we're going to be there. Well, I'll be there definitely. We still aren't quite sure if if, if I'll be uh, going along. The little podcast bun in the oven might keep me home. Yeah, but I will definitely be there with my mic recording more panels for you. Which, so the podcast will be represented. Yeah, I'll be there. But that means we need to get rid of all the rest of the panels we have from last year's Balticon. Well, there's only one left. Oh, how perfect. What timing. Yeah, let's go ahead and play this panel. Enjoy. I'm D.H. Air, and I'm moderating according to Lisa. She's <laughs> over there. So, um... I'm missing two people. I am the author of the High Mages Plight series. Um, the most recent book came out in Kindle last week. The, this is a proof of the uh, paperback coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the next, the, this is Well Armed Brides. The previous book is High Mage. Uh, I have plenty of swords and crowns in this fantasy sci-fi series that takes place across an entire world. And uh, I've always liked the idea of fantasy and monarchy. So welcome to Crowns and Swords, the Intertwined Worlds of Fantasy and Monarchy. I apologize, we were running a little late. Welcome. Um, so I'm moderating. I am DHR, and I'm going to ask TJ to introduce herself. I'm TJ Perkins. Uh, I write for kids. Um, I started off with uh, eight mystery books for um, kids like ages 8 through 12 or 13. And uh, then I went through Silverleaf Books. They published a five-book fantasy series. And it is fantasies with ninja. And um, ninja is really, it, they, they're fantasy, so they have special powers and, you know, the dark arts and magic and all of that stuff. And there is a uh, slight hierarchy there. And I recently have out um, a little picture book for kids ages six and under, Four Little Witches is actually a um, picture book for new age children, teaching them about the elements in a fun fantasy sort of way. There is no crowns and swords in that one at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm T. Morris. I write with my wife, Pip Ballantyne. We write uh, steampunk together uh, as Pip Ballantyne and T. Morris. That's how you do it. And... Uh, <laughs> I do not write for children, but we have a child, which is why we're running late. Um, <laughs> I, apologize. I apologize about that. Uh, along with uh, the setting of, of our steampunk series, which is set in Queen, Queen Victoria's Day, in my, in my past I've also worked in, um, <clears throat> uh, with Epic Fantasy with a series called Moravi, The Chronicles of Raven Ascana. Uh, it was a podcast. It was also a, a novel. Uh, Two-part series for... Yeah, it was currently a two-part series, and um, and we I dealt with with crowns, monarchy, kings and queens, politics, that sort of thing. Uh, it's enough to give me a headache, so I had to take an excedrin before I came here this morning. <laughs> but that is my background in uh, in this in this in this crazy world of crown of crowns and monarchs and queens and and people looking over their shoulders. Um, I'm Philippa Valentine. I write um, fantasy by myself and steampunk with tea. Um, I guess my crowns and swords best work would be the Geist universe, um, where there's unnatural, supernatural, horrible things happening, but also an emperor trying to assert himself in a new domain that he has been invited to come over and, and take the leadership of. So my first question to the panel is um, each of us picks an area. Like I, I have an empire and I have kingdoms and I have city-states. Uh, what kind of things historically spoke to you when you chose to write about your own monarchs and monarchies with fantasy? Um, I'll try that one first. 
in the in the books of the order, the Geist series, which first book was Geist. Uh, I specifically wanted it to be an overarching emperor who's trying to hold together different sort of um, principalities that were once their own kingdoms. So he's not only dealing with his own interior internal problems with his own family, he's also dealing with all these bickering different princes that, and that provides a lot of wonderful conflict and machinations and all sorts of things. I would say with Moravi, I let my writing partner at the time, Lisa Lee, do a lot of the footwork on that, mainly because that was that was her jam. Uh, she told me, um, I'll handle the politics. You do the the, the, the swords and the, and the, 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 the combat, you know, the, 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 dude, the dude bro stuff, which, which kind of reflects my current marriage. She's like, she's like T, here's, make, make, here's an action scene. Make it go. Um, but, uh, but with Moravi, it was a very complicated but fascinating system that Lisa set up. And so I had to, I had to actually bone up on her uh uh, her inspirations, which were which were all based in, uh, in in age and myth and lore, and then what she did was she had a um, a female uprising, so the matriarchy became a patriarchy. I got that right. No, patriarchy became a matriarchy. Got it. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> PM. Does not so, fall into dude bro category. No, it does not fall into no. Look, I just, I just, <laughs> I just give me a give me a weapon and I'm good. <laughs> um, so that so so. So, but but the politics between that was was really interesting because she was setting up all these all these um, all these dominoes and I kept looking at these dominoes and they were getting nastier and nastier because instead of it being men vying for a throne it was females vying for a throne. Let me tell you something: females are nasty. <laughs> they are just they are just evil. Um, now with the ministry it was it was uh, it was it was really interesting because people would come up to us. We'll come up to Pip and myself and say, we love the world building you do. What's your, what is your Bible? And I go, it's called a history book. <laughs> um, but what was fascinating wasn't necessarily the empire that Queen Victoria was holding on to and keeping together. It was the attitudes of, of, uh, of, um, of Britannia. On all the other colonists, we we made we made Eliza um, a, a New Zealander. Shocker that, and and with with that we brought in a whole new dynamic because when people found out that she was from New Zealand, the people in London and we're all citizens, and you know it's not like the the it's not like it's not like Eliza was Maori. She is she is part of the Commonwealth, and yet they just were they just had this colonialist attitude about. Them. And of course, the colonialists had an attitude about the people in uh, in, in, in Pommy Land because you know they, they couldn't get off their duffs and actually you know do some hard work, which is what you do as a colonist. Playing around with those tensions was was fodder for um, uh, for, um, for for writing, and so I, I found I found the dynamics moving from uh, this 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 um, matriarch society. Uh, to another matriarch society, but actually one built in history, uh, a real fascinating job. For, for me, um, I just have to say, I'm my my world with the Shadow Legacy series is n- like really nothing compared to what these guys do. So mine's like way down here while they're way up here. I didn't get into all that because I chose for Shadow Legacy, it was like modern day Japan. But they're all assassins in training because governments still have need for ninja. And there's actually you know, uh, assassins, ninja, in, um, in uh, India. They're called something different. And, of course, the, the American ninjas and ninjas are in London. The only thing that helped me out, I, I did a lot of research with Japan because I put it in modern-day Japan. So what they had to do was they don't live in, the, in any of the big cities. They live outside. So the elders are the people that are sort of like in charge of, and the village is a really lot bigger than just a little village, but it's supposed to be past married with present. So they have this happy little um, union to where they kind of let some of the technology be there, but they're trying to keep to traditions and old ways, which a lot of the younger Teenagers, and as they're coming up, they're really getting sick of it. And they're like, why can't we just be like the rest? And they're like, because we're just, we're not. 
you guys are so totally different. You're you know, on a totally different level than any other human being. And they're kind of driven by the dragon spirit of the waterfall. And they have, um, you know, the the um, kanji of fire. So therefore, you know, they're kind of driven with that spirit uh, that keeps them going. And... Um, and, but I did use, a, I used a lot of, you know, magic and special powers and weapons. And I'm very good at writing, fighting and action <laughs> scenes and lots of creative killing. And a lot of people look at me and go, what? Like, yes, I took martial arts for years and I'm very good, you know, with archery and I've done fencing and I've done all that stuff. So, you know, looks can be deceiving. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I didn't have, I have the elders, and then, of course, you have the senseis, and you have, um, you know, um, some of the parents and stuff. So that was sort of like, you know, my level of control to try to keep things in control. But, you know, as the series progresses and war begins from a rival clan, you know, um, then... All hell breaks loose and, and the system falls, and then it has to be rebuilt at the end. So, you've talked a little bit about culture, and T's talked a little bit about the history, particularly of women being very mean to each other <laughs> in, in, in society. Um, I gotta put I gotta put put on a quick footnote. While I handle a lot of the action, Pip handles a lot of the deaths. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Yes. Right now we're working, we're working on the fifth book, and she's got a scene with, um, I'm not going to give her any spoilers, but the person in charge of the House of Usher has some really wicked ways of getting rid of the competition. And I'm reading this going, I have to sleep with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> Does it involve a mulcher? <laughs> Something similar. Oh. Steampunk style. <laughs> but anyway. So, even with Game of Thrones... Uh, it's based off of some historical backdrop. The House of Lancaster and Lannister are the same, you know, historically. Uh, when you're dealing with crowns and swords, or clans and swords, however you need to, you know, ninja swords, whatever. Clans and katanas, yeah. <laughs> you're doing, you have to do a certain amount of research. Um, it's great to be able to have touched a sword and swung it, you know how heavy the damn thing is, and have a sense of maybe a broadsword isn't something I can be swinging from the next hour and a half without any sweat. <laughs> and without, oh, I'm not tired. I can just go up against that. You know, that's not reality. Everybody's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to the politics... What areas are you researching? Are you just going through history books, or are you looking for something unusual? Well, for me, um, I was lucky enough that I have a friend that lives in Japan. He did um, the first seven of my children's uh, books' uh, covers. He's a New Zealander who lives in Japan. He taught Kung Fu for years and married and has a kid. So if I ever had any questions, I could just message him and, and I would get my answers. Or his wife would tell me what, what it was. So that always helped. Plus the history books. Philippa? Um, I like to pick and choose unusual sort of things that happen. Um, in the, the, the Geist book, the first one, uh, there is a, the emperor has been invited across to another continent to take over this, try and sort out these warring princes because none of them can decide who's going to be the leader. They're all in constant argument. So across the ocean on another continent is a king who has a lot of children. And um, this is a bit like um, the king of Denmark was known as the father-in-law of Europe. He had a lot of children. Um, and one of them was invited, I think it was Sweden, that said, well, you've got a son that you're not doing anything with. Uh, can we have him? I'll and they were like, <laughs> one of, if one of every flavor. Yes, no, yes, they yes. said, oh, we'll have that one. Would you like to come and be king? And so, so Hamlet went over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah no wonder he was so depressed. Yeah. So I was like, isn't that an interesting thing to have happen that you don't really see, you know, what, what would that be like if you're suddenly, like, dropped in a foreign culture and you have to, and, and I took it to an extreme, he has to deal with all of these princes. So I like to look for those interesting people or events that have happened in history and the great thing about writing is you can just mush them all together um, and 
see what happens. But also by doing that, doesn't it open up the story for the reader to have some someone to, to yeah. feel with? Because as they're learning the world, the reader gets to learn the world? Yeah, it's good to have a touchstone that, that, that they can make, make sense of. And, um, and also to have wonderful inbuilt conflict that just starts from the ground up. I think that's. A, I think you just, uh, whether it was inadvertently or not, I think you just you just hit the head of how tough it is um, as a writer to create uh, this, you know, a, a complex world of monarchies and and and, uh, and politics and make it make it care, make people care about what they're reading. Um, along with Game of Thrones, I'm going to lump into their. Uh, uh, a, a terrific series that's non-genre, but in my opinion, some of the best television you'll you'll, you'll see. Uh, it's it's the um, the United States remake of House of Cards. Um, I'm the first one to say that the only kind of political intrigue that I get into was West Wing, and it's because I'm a sucker for Aaron Sorkin dialogue. <laughs> that being said, I found House of Cards to be utterly riveting. We, the only reason we didn't finish season three was because Daredevil started, in the, and then we were just like, "Okay, got to put this on hold for now because I want to watch. I want to watch the guy from Stardust kick a little Budinsky." Um, but the the thing about the thing about House of Cards and Game of Thrones, since we're talking about uh, you know great television, um, is that I would never. I remember as a, as a student when it came to studying monarchs, I was bored out of my teeth. I was bored out of my skull, just absolutely bored. But the reason why we tune into Game of Thrones, the reason why we're outraged by things that happen on Game of Thrones, the reason why we watch House of Cards, the reason why we we are we feel bad for wanting to vote for a guy like Frank Underwood so much, is because we care. We genuinely care about all these characters, and these characters are not just historical characters or even political characters. They are, as Pip said, touchstones. We relate with them in some way, shape, or form. Um, and that's what I find, that, that is why I keep going back to Game of Thrones, why I keep going back to House of Cards, and why I keep going back to these shows like Deadwood, um, another, another HBO offering from many moons ago that I just discovered. Deadwood, yeah, I know, okay, I'm late to the game. Um, Deadwood is all about politics. It's not a Western. It is a political drama. And man, when you see, the, when you see some of the political intrigue of Deadwood, it's like, it's like if Shakespeare and Wild Bill Hickok collaborated on a, on a show. This would be it, and I, I yeah, yeah, and I love this show. And and sadly, it only got three seasons. But that is that is what I think um, is so much fun for us as writers to play with because we actually take probably the most boring stuff that we ever studied together in high school and college, and we make it we make it relatable, which is tough to do. Oh, you'd already said. Oh, you just took everything. No. <laughs> and we're done. Thank you. Enjoy Baltica. <laughs> okay, so the next piece I'm looking at is culture. Because you're dealing with the monarch. Philippa, you've touched about how your character has to deal with a different culture. Mm -hmm. But often, one of the things that I've, I've dealt with in my own series is the fact that I'm flipping our whole understanding of culture because my empire is elven human and the humans are on the low end. Therefore, I get to do all the racist and class things against the lowly humans so that we look at class and culture in a slightly different way because in, on, on this world of elves, they know the reasons humans can't do magic is because we don't have souls. <laughs> I'm so set in D.C. <laughs> Thousands of years. On <laughs> so, how does culture play into your monarch and fantasy? <laughs> is it too hard to answer that I question? I think he just went his happy place. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, well, with Moravi, that's. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking about some of the stuff that I did in Moravi, and I just go, wow. <laughs> um, from a culture aspect, I mean, it was uh, that was that was that was the crux of the relationship between Rafe and Ascana. Um, Ascano is, uh, is 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 the uh, the the woman who is who is uh, basically hacked and slashed her way up to the throne. She needs an ally. She hires the last person anybody expects, 
which is this uh, this this privateer captain, uh, and Rafe is coming from Tudor England. So you've got the you've got the overly uh, misogynistic <coughs> aspect of, of of Tudor England meshing with this recent revolution of women who have just taken the throne. And I just went, okay, you do have that. And that was uh, that was great fun to play with. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what about what about the cultural. There were there were a lot of cultural things that we played around with in the in the ministry series. Well, that's the good thing about the British Empire. There's lots of different people in it, yeah. <laughs> and they call America the melting pot, <laughs> and a lot of different cultures to conquer. Yes, there yeah. are. Well, we're yeah. actually going. The fifth book's going to be set in India, so that's a whole colonial. We, yeah. <laughs> we that's a that's a colonial hotspot, and we've actually asked assistance from uh, Sunadasi, who's the webmistress over at uh, Steampunk India, to be our... Eyes and ears. Our <laughs> eyes and ears, because we, want, we, don't want to, we don't want to culturally appropriate anything, and we want to make sure we get it right, because Suna's written for us before, and we really respect where she comes from. And if we get this wrong, she will come from Scotland, and she will <laughs> wail on us. Uh, so, yeah. Carly so, style. Yeah, um, Carly yeah. style. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, the, the clash of two cultures is just another great way of adding conflict. Um, in the Geist universe, all those different um, kingdoms that were, that are now sitting under the empire, all have their own cultures and different ways of dealing with women and um, classes, and some have different caste systems. So it's it's a huge melting pot of different things. Plus, it was really great. Each different book, I could go to a different principality and have something new and interesting uh, and different to sort of show people. Well, for me, I, did, I don't have a whole lot of clashing um, going on other than swords and weapons and stuff. But um, my main character in Shadow Legacy, in, he um, winds up uh, being drained and so-called, quote-unquote, losing his powers, which he really didn't lose them, but you have to read the series to find out what happens. But he, his, one thing was really interesting that I decided to do was um, a mixing of races. So... My main character is half Japanese and half Indian. So, Hindian. Because, <laughs> so Hindian. So, his, his uh, um, Indian mother came from um, a temple, and that's where she learned everything. And I can't say too much because I'll ru- ruin a lot of the story. But, <laughs> but um, she was really the basis. And of course, she was murdered, she was assassinated, and so was his father when he was really young. And his sister and his uncle helped raise him. So with him being of two different cultures, he he is his one sensei had this idea, let's go to India, to the very temple where your mother was raised, and and we're going to teach reteach you. And you have to relearn and bring everything forth bigger and better and better than what you were. And in the midst of all that, then he also has to take a side trip to um to Egypt, where he has to find uh, this really, really old, shriveled-up man who knows how to um, extract power from uh, this. Um, it's a stone. It's a magical stone, which is actually a product from the dragon of the waterfall. So, um, so I had to do some research, but I didn't like spend a whole lot of time on the different cultures because I was afraid I would get something mm. wrong or and not, you know. Um, project something as as it really should be. So um, I was more focused on you know his learning of, and what he, what he was going to do with his magic and what kind of magic did they have to teach him and powers and things. And um, but I did always touch on a lot of the the deities, you know, the gods, the goddesses, and some of the magic properties and stuff. So I incorporated a lot of that. And then in the midst of all that, I kind of also incorporated some of. Um, New age magical abilities into the whole thing. So that's that's my thing right there. <laughs> okay, so my next question is the intertwined worlds of fantasy and monarchy. Why? Why do that? I think for for me, putting in monarchies and fantasy, it's it's like writing a huge family drama. You know, I mean, you know, thinking back, if you take the the War of the Roses, I mean, you're going back generations of people saying, well, I'm descended from that person, so I deserve it. I'm descended from that person. It's like, 
a huge like Italian godfather, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> medieval, you know. Now I suddenly, I suddenly see. Um, who was Lee Pace again in The Hobbit? Oh, Tharandel. Yeah, I, I see Tharandel at the table with Legolas going, Someday, <laughs> they may never come. <laughs> I could see Lee Pace doing this too. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's built-in drama. It's, it's built-in drama. Um, there was a reason why Shakespeare's history plays were the most popular. Um, and when they're done right... When they're done right, it's not just guys in really nice outfits pontificating. Uh, I, I highly recommend. I, I highly recommend uh, the Hollow Crown. If you haven't seen it, the Hollow Crown. Um, yeah. it, it, the Hollow Crown basically does uh, Richard II, Henry IV, parts one and two, and Henry V. Um, and Henry and Henry in Henry part two uh, in in Richard II, it's Ben Wish Wishaw Wishaw. Yeah. Wishaw who was Q in the new uh, in the new Bond films, and also uh, Rory Kinnear, who plays the Frankenstein uh, plays Frankenstein's monster in uh, Penny Dreadful, there in this. And then in Henry IV, parts one and two, you've got uh, Loki as uh, Prince Hal, and you have um, and then you and, and and his dad turns out to be Jeremy Irons. Shocker. Um, and and I will say this: as much as I really enjoyed. Uh, Tom Hiddleston as King Henry, I preferred him as Prince Hal. And the, uh, but the, but the reason I think I really enjoyed that, in particular Henry Four One and Two, so much was because it was it was the monarchy, but it was it was it was dynamic. It was a family drama. It was. Uh, well, you can't get any bigger family drama than someone <laughs> trying to get the throne. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, passing and, the mac and cheese, it looks really bland. <laughs> <laughs> Who gets the last scoop? Exactly. And and I mean, that was the thing is that, is that in fantasy, it, it just it with fantasy you add in the elements of magic, you add in the elements of the supernatural, and it it just fits. Um, the one thing I would say though that I think is a trap I've seen a lot of a lot of writers fall into. You have you have some people that that write into monarchies and and the intrigue and the fantasy. And the, the adventure starts to get away from them. And then suddenly you are lost. In, you know, not, only are you, not only are you as a reader lost in the monarchy, but you can tell that the, reader, uh, that the author is also lost in the monarchy. But as much as and some people say, well, you've got to research, research, research. But then I see some authors that do nothing but research. And they're not cranking out the books fast enough. Um, or they haven't even gotten the first book done. I, I remember speaking. I had two books out, and I remember this one author I was friends with. And she was still working on the, the world building and the monarchy. And she'd been working on that for three years solid. And my thought is, that's great, but you gotta, you got to start getting words down on paper. There's a point where you have to stop research and start telling the story. Um, <clears throat> so I think so while, while monarchies are great, you, you as a writer have to have that, that inner discipline to say, I'm going to tell this much of, of the story uh, you know, based on based on the based on the research I've done at this particular monarch at this particular royal family, but I have to stop and just make sure I tell the story. Which brings me to you, TJ. Why fantasy in your yakuza <laughs> monarchy? Why did? Because I felt like I had more to play with. Gave me a lot more room. Gave me space. Gave me all this. I could do what I want. Kind of a thing. You can break rules. There's no rules to me. When you when you do fantasy, so and and Shadow Legacy was my first attempt at a fantasy, and then my publisher wanted me to do a five book fantasy series, and each book had to be an element. And I was like, I never wrote anything that big before. And I was like, well, you know, it's fantasy, and they're ninja, so you do a little bit of research on some of the ninja background, and you find out, oh, there really is such a thing as as the dark arts. Well, I can change that. I can grow and expand and move it around and do whatever I want with it. You know, there's different magic. I watch Naruto. I play video <laughs> games with my son. I'm like, take some of this stuff and just throw it all in the cauldron and mix it all up and see what I get. <coughs> I made pancakes. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Ninja pancakes. 
Ninja pancakes. Ninja pancakes, <laughs> not blueberries. Shittikins. Ninja pancakes. <laughs> mom, why do I have this urge to throw my pancakes? <laughs> and they're sticking in the wall, Mom. Why did you put in them? They're pointy. I'll, I'll come out being like a Jewish mother. Go get the spackling and fix it. <laughs> you need to eat more. <laughs> Is there anything in this process that gave you pause? as you're mixing this together? <laughs> that question gave me pause. <laughs> um, you know, um, our portrayal of Queen Victoria. Uh. Um, <laughs> yeah, our, our portrayal of Queen Victoria. Um, so you were talking about breaking rules in fantasy. And... Um, probably on another panel I would debate with you on that point of like, no, I think there are rules in fantasy. However, the first rule of steampunk is it's okay to break the rules, particularly because we're, we're, we're tinkering with history anyway. But then there's that sort of there's that point where you, you you're gonna you're gonna bend the rules until they do break. Uh, and we've been called out on a couple of things, but the one thing we've never been called out on has been our treatment of Queen Victoria, which was in a word dramatic. Um, and it's and yeah, I know. I feel like I'm dancing on, I'm dancing on hot coals right now. Um, I would say that um, that uh, the, the, the more we researched about Queen Victoria, the darker she became as a character. Um, less pleasant. Far less pleasant. <laughs> Everyone has this image of her as like a little pudding of a woman, just sort yeah. of trotting around. Just going, we are not immune. <laughs> you know? And and that's that's the stereotype we have. And and. The more we dug in, she was unpleasant to her children. She was, she was, she was, she was mean to her. I mean, this is a woman who was so vain that when she found out that her daughter was going to become the Empress of India, Germany, she, Germany, Germany, she said, "Well, I'm going to be Empress of India first, <laughs> just so she could be first. I'm like, "Wow, wow, girl. Um, okay, you know, Mazel tov. But, but I just. I mean, and and then and then the more we found, and and a lot of it had, and possibly a lot of it had to do with the fact of uh, the death of, um, of Prince Albert. Albert. Mm. Prince Albert. Yeah, Albert. Um, we killed him, but differently. Yeah, we, oh yeah, we we had him die. In a, no, you had him die in a different way. Oh yeah, he died in <laughs> an explosion. Yeah, he was experimenting. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> as you do in steampunk, and um, <laughs> but but again, yeah, the, the I, I find that that uh, sometimes when you when you research. Uh, particularly with with monarchs, uh, particularly with royal families, the more you uncover, the nastier it gets. Um, and 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 I I think that we were I thought I thought we were fair with with Victoria, but the more we wrote about her, the darker she became. And I did a short story with her at the beginning of her of her of her reign, and I made her light and fun and fluffy, and it was it was it was it was terrific. But I looked at that at that. Queen Victoria, and then I looked at the Victoria that we ended up with in the books, and I'm just like, I really don't like this woman. And and I, I you don't have to like the Empress. No, 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 you don't. You just don't have to piss her off. Right. <laughs> Touche. Um, Please don't do that. Things ha- bad things happen. Um, in the uh, the Geist series, I, I I made the 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 Emperor that came over. He and his, he came over with his sister, and they were. Not Cersei and Jamie <laughs> tight, but they were pretty. They were pretty tight together as as a as a family members because they'd been in an awful family, a bit like Queen Victoria's, with lots of brothers and sisters and all fighting, and the father picking, you know, who was his favorite that week. Um, and I liked that that camaraderie that these two characters had. But then when you start to think about how power affects people and how even a tight family member that you're really close with eventually you know power sweeps in and and people change and so when the emperor starts to turn and gets mad (laughs) goes a little crazy his sister has to make a decision whether she's like this is still my brother or am I going to actually be do something that's right for the imperial crown so that that was hard to break them up because <laughs> they were the only two people that were decent to each other. 
and, and that and that royal sort of so teacher anything give you pause anything that gave me pause was possibly the fear of getting things wrong that's a writer's life right <laughs> <laughs> um could I actually do a five book series? Could I make each one thick enough? Could I, you know, fit enough of the story in and make it flow and make, you know, one book go into the other? And, you know, it's, it's I mean, it turned out fine. I've got good reviews on the series. People are still buying the books, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, just making sure I, uh, the only thing that would give me pause about what I wrote was, you know, just making sure that um, I had my facts straight. Because even though, like you said, you can bend the rules, you can break the rules, you can make up your own rules in fantasy. Um, but it's it was pretty much, you know, just um, making sure that you, you get it right. You know, what is too much, what's too little, and just having that nice, even blend going in. For me... I write on another planet, in another world, where the elves went. And where human race accidentally found them. And that doesn't go very well. <coughs> uh, so, but for me, I don't have to worry about getting it right. I just have to worry about not pissing off the elves. I've got to be true to who they may be without worrying so much about what we believe elves are. So their culture has to come to the fore. But their culture is probably less than what it was because they've had humans around for a long period of time in their empire. So they're changed. And their names aren't always elvish sounding. But as far as they know, they're pride of the society. They're as elven as any other elf. And so I, I still have to worry about the verisimilitude the truth behind that society. Will I get it right? Will I get it wrong? Uh, but I have to also fear that I may be getting it wrong at times, and that's why editors, you will catch you. Uh, so I'd like to open up to questions. In the back. Okay, for all of you, you're dealing with monarchy, you're dealing with layers of aristocracy. Uh, how do you deal with this vis-a-vis -vis your own personal attitudes towards democracy and caste? How do you deal with the, the caste system in your various uh, cultures? Because if you have a monarchy, it's implied that you have an aristocracy, that you do not have a democratic system. How do you deal with it? That's the politics. Huh. Well, in Geist, um, he came, lands in there, and there's a lot of princes who used to be kings and aren't too happy about no longer being kings. Uh, and But below them are also dukes who are also very powerful in their own right and also adding in, into the mix. Um it's always great when you need a bad guy, you can just pull out a juke. <laughs> or two, if you, if you feel like it. What do you think, Jeff? Well, with, with Moravia, I remember the, the system was, and again, this, this, was, this was our first book together, uh, and sadly our last book together. Uh, but in Moravia, uh, the way Lisa had set, up, set it up, uh, it was... There was the queen, but then she had the high council, which, which you know, kind of backed up the queen, uh, or was the failsafe if the queen went went mad like the previous king did in the um, in, in in the in the imperial in the in the, in the imperial uh, realm. And yet, you know, when I look at that, when I looked at the system she set up, I'm I'm, I'm looking at it and going, well, then she really wasn't an absolute monarch, was she? Uh, if if you've got somebody, you know, that that can over over. They can overrule you, uh, then you know you're, you're 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 kind of just working with a with a a, a very almost two tiered version of our three tiered government system. Um. So, so when I when when uh when when I got into uh, writing steampunk, the queen at that point was she was not an absolute monarch. She was not an absolute, monarch. <clears throat> and that annoyed her. That, that, she was not amused by that. No, she no, was not amused by Parliament. No, she was or anybody in it. Yeah. Or, um, and when she was a when she was a young woman, she had this whole thing about 
who were ladies in waiting. They had like this argument here in Parliament about who was going to be her ladies in waiting, and she wasn't going to have Parliament telling her who yeah. her ladies in waiting are going to be. Yeah. And then she basically shut down the government over this whole <laughs> whole issue. Some things never change, huh? <laughs> you know, ladies in waiting. Affordable Care Act. <laughs> Sit down to government. Screw it. But but when it comes to the but I think where I think where um, where, where it gets difficult I think for for for, uh, for authors to grasp is that that whole monarch system that the whole the the monarchs and the and the dukes and the serfs and things like you know the the, the lower you go down um, we watch we, we watch or read something like uh, Pillars of the Earth you know which is which is based in actual history and you see how how some of these uh, the, the people in power are treating the lower people and just think, oh, I can't do that. But you kind of have to if you're going to go there. And, and it, it's tough. That, that stuff can be tough to write. Um, I felt like with, I felt like with, uh, with, with the, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences series, we were able to handle it better because we had, we already had that, that, that system set up. Like I said, history book. But then we could take that history and then Take it to an extreme. What if Queen Victoria was just, you know, I'm tired of being a figurehead. I think we should go back to the way it used to be. You know, when when I did build an empire, when you know, and and that was really fun to play with. Moravi, um, even even now, with that being the first novel, I'd be the first one to admit. I think we, I think we needed a little more work in how we set up the government because it was a little too modern. Uh, and maybe, maybe I, maybe that was why that was the only novel I wrote. Before, <laughs> because uh, I understood the system she gave me, but it wasn't necessarily a system that I think that was was ready. It wasn't ready for prime time. It wasn't ready for. It. In uh, my series, I have the entire capital, different tiers of the city. The lowest tier is filled with poor humans. The top tier is the palace. I have a dwarven quarter in like the sixth tier. So the dwarves are looked down on and they're just stuck in a quarter, kind of like in the Middle Ages of a ghetto. But I also have a mercantile group of guilders. Some are higher up, depending on their guild status. Others are closer to the seventh tier. And I have people vying to move out of the seventh tier to get to the sixth or the fifth. And to do that, you have to prove that you've got some elven blood in you. And sometimes you have to cheat to prove that because you want to move up in status. And to get there, you may water down all the beer in the tap room. You know, so your people are paying you what they think is for full beer, but you're hoarding your money so you can move up. And as I've gone to different uh, provinces of the empire, where my character comes in first from the provinces to get to the capital, there's debt collectors mm -hmm. who are selling off belongings. And my main character is pretending to be somebody else so he can sneak into the capital. He's decided he's going to have to pretend he's a merchant. And that just gives you another view of why, apparently a family went broke and he's buying up stuff cheap that he's going to sell for a profit. And he's not seeing the world from, oh, you know, here's the Duke, I'll go to the next Duke. No, that's not the way he's working. And you get to see a, an empire based on the fact that people are poor or people are not as poor. And I spend a lot of time with thieves. And in, in the third book, I introduce all the street urchins. And the street urchins become his friend after they rob him. <laughs> right? It doesn't work out for them, the robbery, so much, but him saving them from worse makes the urchins his friend. So, you know, there's a lot of kids on the street, and I have an empire where a lot of dads are sent to the Northlands to fight against goblins. There aren't a whole lot of dads around. And when they come, what's the world look like? And what's the northern edge of the empire look like when all these men are stationed in the north? 
it's not a pretty sight, and the officers tend to be those of elven blood, whether they're qualified for the station or not, which if you've ever looked at World War I France, there were a whole bunch of French officers who probably never went to military college, or if they did, it was a very easy college for, for them to go through. They may have gotten rid of the aristocrats in France centuries <clears throat> earlier, but they'd recreated the class. So it's all these pieces to think about. I don't know if TJ has thoughts on that. For me, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of that because I was writing for kids. I wanted the kids to focus more on the characters and what was going on. But I did mention that even though the elders were like in charge of the village and what's going on and you have to get their permission for certain things and you have to answer to them, um, you know, after, let's say, you know, you, you've used, you know, magic and your elemental energies and you um, did some devastating killing, you have to come before the board, you know, which the elders are on. But the elders also have to answer to the Japanese government is um, the Japanese government will call on them to send out, you know, some of their elite black dragons, which is their, um, some of the elite ninja, to, yeah, I need one of your guys to go take somebody out for me, you know. So they, you know, so they do have, that's the only thing I, I did. it Very, very simple because it, it's not only a, for teenagers. I have to think teenagers, you know what? 13 and 14 year olds are still going to try to get a hold of the book and read it. You know, it's not just 16 year olds up to about 25 year olds reading this stuff. So I have had to keep it kind of simplified too and not get too deep into it. So that's just what I did. Okay, we have five more minutes left in the session, so I've got I can take at least one more question before we wrap up. Um, with the various cultures you research, do you try to be close to it like in Japan with the emperor? There were all these shogun or various, you know, the, the lower, the, the aristocrats who would fight and, you know, would, would take over the government, but they'd still be supposedly loyal to the emperor. But because he was a son of God, you know, the right son. But in England, that didn't exist. Do you try to adhere to it, or do you adapt and take another culture? I didn't. I didn't try to adhere to that. I mean, I uh, I tried to stick with the culture of um, they kept you know the respect, and they did try not to shame the family, mm -hmm. dishonor you know the family. Um, Which I did, is huge in that culture. Yeah, I tried to to keep to some of that stuff, but um, I didn't stick with too much of the ancient Japanese, you know, with the, um, you know, like we said, with the, the emperor. I didn't have an emperor, and I didn't have any of that. It was the government. I was kind of thinking of it sort of like how it is now, because it was, it was just modern and, and old ways, but I didn't get too deep into the old ways, so they could mash together and, and flow smoothly without too much interference with each other. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay. So let um, I have time for one more question. Then. That was one question I got. Anyone else have a question? Otherwise, we'll wrap. Okay. Going, going, gone. So we're going to give everyone a chance to uh, say one thing as uh, a commercial message before we close um, you can find my website at pjballantine.com it's got links to all the different worlds and weirdnesses there you can find our books also in the dealer's room we do have two books floating around though during the weekend that we're, we're selling on our own uh, mainly because the, 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 they're ones that, uh, that, that we've, we've self-pubbed um, the first one is the Ministry, uh, the Ministry Protocol. Uh, Ministry Protocol is a collection of short stories, and that also includes the, and that includes the light fun story I was telling you about Queen, uh, about Queen Victoria. She's Just, in her nice face. She's in her nice face. And then the other, you got the other book in there too. I know you do. I know you do. Yeah, that's the other one. Uh, that one's called Tales of a Tesla Ranger. Uh, we're going to be selling both of those at the, um, at the PG Holyfield Memorial. Uh, we did this as a uh, as a as a tribute, and 
the money from that goes to a trust for his kids. So, uh, so you have that as well. The geek homecoming. It's the geek. Is the what? Geek homecoming. It's the geek homecoming. So come on out tomorrow. Geek homecoming. We'll be we'll be selling those there. You can find all of my books on Amazon, and uh, they're also available as eBooks and on you know any kind of e-reader device. Um, the Four Little Witches book is at uh, Larry's bookshop in the dealer's room. He's got a couple copies. So and um, but you can find all of my stuff on um, Amazon. Just look up T.J. Perkins. Put author if you Google me. So I'm not T.J. Perkins the wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You're dancing. <laughs> The TJ Perkins, she's got a mean body slam. <laughs> and With the sword. Uh, you can find me, DA Chair, in the uh, dealer's room this week. You can find all my books um, on Amazon, particularly on Kindle. My latest book is the first book in a new series. Um, it's urban fantasy called Dare to Believe. Um, basically, I apologize. All my fans are being turned into elves, trolls, and dwarves um, because I'm ending the world, which turns our world into magic. and the demon's been reading my stories using it against us. Yeah. <laughs> so, like uh, Gulliver's Travels, Meets Urban Fantasy, that's what I've written. So, uh, thank you all. And nice turnout. Yes. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff.